Okay. I've got a few things I want to um, uh, mention to this morning. You know, we did this first service, and I think it's only right that second service have a voice, too, um, just like first service. I, uh, I like to do things democratically um, when, they, when it helps my agenda. So, um, so here, here's what I think we should do. We should vote. How many of you think we should accept re- uh, Shelby's resignation? Raise your hand. How many of you don't think we should accept her resignation? Raise your hand. Okay. So moved. Um, she got to see that in first service. We'll have to let her know here in second service that that's just, that's just the way it is. We like to do things that way around here. So uh, we will let you know as things progress through this. Uh, we, we've known a little bit around here for a little while around here that, that this is happening. This is uh, going to be taking place. So we'll let you know where we're at with the process. It, it, this... Um, it's really not quite as simple as a process as you might think, and so we'll let you know as we get a little closer. The board and I have already had some discussions of what we're going to be doing, and also we want to uh, take some opportunities to um, let Shelby know we appreciate her, love her, and, and, and doing some things like that. And I've said this before, Shelby is and has been just an amazing um, pastor around here. So somebody was asking me something about her that doesn't know her, and, uh, and I told him, I said, hands down, best pastor I've ever worked with, hardworking, wise, sees the right picture, um, understands things, all that kind of stuff, really cares about people. And so it's, it's, it's uh, truly been a privilege to work with her. And so we'll, we'll let you know what happens, some of the transitions, some of the things uh, that are going to be going on with that. Um, where's Grant? Grant, come up here. We did want to um, acknowledge uh, Grant's presence among us and his vacating us also, uh, it has been a, a good opportunity um, to, he just turned 19, like two weeks ago, yeah, um, so we feel like he's growing up, and uh, we're excited about that. He is going to be headed back to St. Louis, and so we want to, to give him this, you can actually keep it, this service, um, <laughs> we don't, two services, so uh, we, we got him a little something in there, and we and we definitely have uh, enjoyed him being here. He has been a he's been an asset to us, a huge asset, and uh, hopefully we've been the same to him. Hopefully we've been able to give him some opportunities to minister and do some things. And that was our our goal for him coming here as an intern is to just get outside your hometown and get some ministry in a different setting, and uh, and it's been it's been beneficial for both of us. We are going to miss him, maybe when he goes back, and uh, and if he. If he can step this relationship with his girlfriend up, get married, do all that kind of stuff, that uh, maybe he'd come back here someday. You know, I don't know. But, um, but he's got to get some things on the ball, so, uh, so that's got to happen. <laughs> but he, uh, he, has been, he has been a blessing, and so we want you uh, to, to acknowledge this. And, and Grant, why don't you step right down here? We want to pray for him. And anybody that wants to, why don't you come join us up here? You can't hold that while you're praying, Grant? No? Okay. We, uh, we want to pray for him, and, you know, he's got, he, he, the reason he came to do this internship is because he feels like he's got God's call on his life and wants to be a worship pastor. He's obviously got the ability, he's got a beautiful voice, he's got great musical abilities, but the, the key here is the call. It's, it's God's anointing, it's God's hand, and so what that looks like, and so that's what we want to pray about is that God will lead him and guide him. He's, he's just a, a babe of 19, so there's a lot of, uh, of uh, future road. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Grant, his heart his attitude, just his, just his heart for you and his uh, humility, Lord. He's just a, just a good guy. 
and uh, it's good to be around. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've, that you've called him, that you've guided him. So you've got to tell him what that is. You've got to show him. You've got to show him in this transition back to St. Louis. You've got to show him in the next six months, next year, five years, Lord. Guide him and lead him. We know that if he will just follow you, if he'll be a righteous man, that you'll put those steps in front of him. And so, Lord, we trust that and we believe it. And uh, we thank you for his time with us. And, and, God, hopefully we've given him some things that can help him along the way. We pray all this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is literally his last day here. Um, so do whatever you got to do with that. Um, I did mention the first service. He, he has said this to me many times. He really enjoys hugs, um, full body hugs. He really wants you to bring it in close. He wants you to, to just wrap around, just hold on for a while. Maybe rub his back, you know, just, just get in there, you know. So <laughs> I did want to mention that um, Jerry and Nur have landed in India and in Calcutta. They'll be there a couple days, and then they're headed to Ramparhut, and they're going to meet with our two pastors in Ramparhut. We sent them with quite a bit of money, so it looks like um, it looks like they will have enough money to um, to finish the top floor. I mean, we. You guys have been giving like crazy toward this, and uh, I, I think we have enough money to finish everything. And so they took a lot of that with them to be able to give to the builder and do some stuff like that. So, so when you're thinking about that, be praying for them. I mentioned the fact that, that uh, Jerry left after being back from Pakistan a month, leaves and heads to India. I, I don't know how you do that. That's, he's 82. That's difficult. And so be thinking about that, praying for those guys. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing some great things uh, from, the, from our pastors there. And, and we've got some things. We've got to get paperwork done. We're trying to get them on motorcycles, some of those kind of things. So it's uh, just exciting stuff, what's happening uh, with all of that. So um, without anything else, I did want to um, introduce our speakers to you this morning. They, I, you guys know I don't usually let people speak. I don't really do that to a, to a fault. It's not a, a positive thing sometimes. But, but I'm selfish, and I'm the boss. So I... I don't, usually missionaries have a window, but I wanted the, the Heinz to take the entire service this morning, and, and uh, you'll see why the bunch of stuff they're going to be showing us and talking to us about. But to give you a little bit of background, uh, we've known Lance and Mindy when it was uh, Lance Heinz and Mindy Lakey before they were married, before Linda and I were married, went to school with them. In fact, Linda was telling me this story, this is a few years ago that one of the first things she can remember about um, Lance is the, um, they had lived in a guy-girl dorm. She, she went to Southwestern the year before I did, and uh, the semester before I did, I was still at a different university. And, and uh, so she, she girl side one side, boys on the other side, and they would open the roof tiles and holler at each other and, and talk to each other, stuff like that, through the roof tiles. Um, you know, like good Christian kids do. And just processing that. And then Lance's brother was a, a position of authority. He was an RA. And so he would, Lance would get in trouble by his brother, um, who his brother later became my RA. And I got in a lot of trouble from him also. It was like a day, it was like a daily thing, like five or six times a day. Scott, you have 10 demerits. Like, shut up. So, um, but it, it's, it's interesting. The reason I'm saying all that is we've known them for at, at least 10, 12 years. And uh, we're, one of the things that happens in a time frame like that is, you know, you're kids. You're just kids. And you're trying to see what life is going to be. And you're going to school. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. You, you, uh, get, you meet each other, fall in love, get all this thing. But then 
God takes you on this journey, and this journey is, guys, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my life for anything, and I know they feel the same way. God does some big stuff with you. You don't know it when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, and you're, you're saying, what's God providing? What's God going to do? You don't know that, but we have got to, to watch over the years. God do some pretty amazing things with the Heinz and, and uh, do missionary work literally all over Africa. We, we've seen their kids grow up serving God, just a lot of stuff that you say, well, God, thanks, thanks for using us. Thanks for doing stuff. And, uh, and so, so it's, it's truly a privilege to introduce them to you this morning, but also just knowing just their friends, just knowing them literally forever. And so uh, without anything else, uh, Lance, Mindy, thank you guys for being here, missionaries to South Africa. Thank you, Pastor Scott. It is a joy to be at Church Briargate this morning and enjoy uh, worshiping here. We appreciate churches like this. We appreciate this church that are willing to uh, serve, uh, pray, and support missionaries all around the world. And thanks for this opportunity. You know, he starts talking about uh, going to school at Southwestern, and but he, he imitated my brother spot on. I mean, that was perfect. I've never, I've never been able to see a, or hear an imitation of that mean older brother uh, like you did. You know, it reminded me of a story when he was talking about uh, honorary things that Linda would do, and she really uh, caused problems. And uh, <laughs> Scott and I never really did. Mindy caused some problems, but it reminded me of a story of two siblings growing up in a small town. I, I grew up in a, sm- a small town in western Colorado, and uh, this family that, uh, that the story was about had two boys, an older boy and a younger. I'm the younger boy, by the way, in our family. But uh, <clears throat> this, this young uh, family with these two boys, their boys caused havoc all the time created problems all over, and uh, the parents finally just had enough. The mother went to the pastor and said, Pastor, would you please meet with my two boys and straighten them out? So the pastor said, don't worry. I've had experience with this. I've helped many families and many children. So just tell your children to come, and they'll come into the office, but have them come one by one, and I'll talk with them. And so the younger boy stayed home, and the mean older brother came first. And uh, the pastor called him into his office and looked at the boy without saying anything. Just stared at him for a while. And then finally, with a loud voice, he said, where is God? And the boy kind of, his eyes got wide and he he was kind of startled. But he was so so, uh, startled, he didn't say anything. So the pastor, kind of a bit concerned and worried, said again, even with a louder voice, where is God? And the, the, the little boy screamed and ran out of the uh, office, ran out of the church, kept running all the way home, ran into his house, into his, into his room, into his closet. And there he just was, was afraid, scared to death. And the, the wise younger brother came to, to him and found him and said, What, what happened? What, what's, why are you in here hiding? What did the pastor say? And the older brother said, I don't know what's going on. I can't explain it. Something bad has happened. What, what's happened? What's, something really bad's happened. God is missing, and they think we've done it. <laughs> That's the kind of person I think Linda might have been in school. Uh, and, uh, but we have known the bottom for a long time and think so much of Scott and Linda. And want to just say thank you for letting us come and be in service and share. Mindy's going to come in a moment and greet you and share a little bit about uh, what we're doing and, and a little bit about our, our family.
But just to let you know, we have been missionaries in Africa. This year will be 20 years. We've served in the nation of Zambia, and also we've the last 10 years we've been missionaries in Mozambique. Uh, Mozambique is a, a wonderful country. Our, raised our kids there, love it very much, but the Lord has opened the door for us to go to Malawi, and we'll be living in Malawi. That's where uh, Linda's folks served for many years. And uh, th- when we went to Mozambique, Mozambique uh, had just finished being in a, in a 26-year war, civil war, for the last 16 of those years and 10 years of a, of a war of independence. And it was devastated, and it was a difficult place. And we went in and reopened the field in Mozambique. And um, we didn't, uh, first few years, didn't have a a lot of good things happen. It was really a struggle. But God's really blessed. And now we actually, of of the eight countries that we get to serve uh, and lead our missionaries in, uh, Mozambique has the largest team of missionaries, and the church is doing well. And we have some great leaders there. And so at the end of last term, we begin to pray, Lord, where do you want us to go? Do you want us to stay here? And we felt the Lord leading us to go to Malawi. Malawi, over the years, have had some great missionaries. But uh, we just have one missionary family that's living there now, and they're getting ready to retire. And so there would be nobody there. So we, we, we uh, through prayer, agreed that we would go and, and move there. And... and uh, we, as we've been itinerating, though, the Lord's done some amazing things, and there's been three pastors, three families uh, that have uh, signed up to go as missionaries, and they've been approved, and now they're itinerating to be missionaries in Malawi. And so a team of us will go in and begin to do the work that the Lord's called us. People say, what has the Lord called you to do? What do you do as missionaries? Well, missionaries end up doing a lot of things, but we believe the most important thing is to pro- proclaim the gospel message to the lost. So that is what we're about with with passion, we believe in proclaiming the gospel message. We also believe the Bible's called us to make disciples. And so we're, we, we try our best to make disciples and to train leaders to, to be disciple makers. But we believe the best way this happens is through local churches, a local church just like this. And so we've been about for the last 20 years planning churches, and God is doing some wonderful things. And just uh, we don't have the statistics for 2018. But the statistics, they're, they're coming. But the statistics for 2017 is that over 500 Assemblies of God churches were planted in those eight countries in, in 2017. We're so grateful and thankful for what God is doing. And you, as, as when you pray for missionaries and send missionaries, you have a part in that. And it, as uh, more information is coming in, we're, it looks like we're going to reach over our goal of 2018 and see over 600 churches planted in southern Africa. And so we are so grateful. It's through these local churches that they minister to the community and make a difference and make an impact. There's still work to be done. There are over 200 million people in Africa who have yet to hear the gospel message. Over 200 million. Many of them are in, in places with no access to the gospel. They're in, in places in countries where maybe their particular language, there's not a Bible in yet, or there's not, uh, uh, there's not a radio that's being uh, broadcasted in their language and so uh, there's still work to be done. There's, they might not even know a, who a, a Christian. They might not even know what a church is. And so please pray with us. I'm going to invite Mindy to come and share uh, for a moment. But, but know that there's still great work to be done. God's doing great things, and it's exciting. But there's great work yet to be done. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. When Lance introduced me in first service, he said that he was married to a grandma. And um, that means he's a, a grandpa, and so it works for me. At the Welcome Center, there is a, a prayer card, and I would just ask if you would pick 
one of those up. Um, true story. We were at a church and passing out prayer cards, and this lady got a prayer card, and she looked at the card, and she looked at me, and she went, is, is that you? I thought, wow, <laughs> I must be looking rough today. <laughs> Anyway, would you take a prayer card and pray for us? This is our first prayer card that we've ever had that our kids are not on. When we went to Africa in 2001, our kids were 5, 7, and 8 years old. And today they're 23, 24, and 26 years old. And um, when they saw this prayer card, they were not happy at all. They said, "Um, who's going to pray for us now? And I said, well, you know, you're grown-ups now. Maybe it's your chance to pray for Maybe you need to be praying for us and for some other missionaries. So they're all serving the Lord, and we are grateful for the opportunity to raise our kids in Africa. They grew up at a very slow, um, at a very slow pace, and they grew up and had a lot of innocence preserved in their lives until they got much older. And we're grateful for the way that the Lord allowed us to raise our family. When we first arrived in Africa in 2001. One of the first things that really struck me was the incredible um, difficulties that people around us lived in. On any given day in Africa, you will find more poverty and more disease and more helplessness and more vulnerability and more suffering than anywhere else on the planet. People really do live in complete hopelessness until they meet Jesus. But the story of Africa is one of hope because Jesus is redeeming and transforming lives at a very, very rapid pace in Southern Africa. And you know, even though people suffer and they have incredible hardship during this earthly life, when they encounter Jesus and they get to know him, their eternity and their hope is bright and their future has lots and lots of wonderful things for them to look forward to. And so we are eager to go back. You know, we, we look at the news and we hear about a lot of injustice in the world, don't we? And as believers, injustice of any kind should really outrage us. We should long for all people to live well and to be happy and healthy and to know the Lord like we do. But the greatest injustice of all is the injustice of lostness. And those 200 million people that Lance mentioned a minute ago who don't have any access to the gospel, that's an injustice. And it's an injustice we can do something about as we pray. We affect change in places that that we will never physically be able to go to. As we give to missions, we are able to touch and impact lives for eternity of people who will forever be different, that we'll meet one day in heaven. And so thank you for all that you do to send the gospel into those dark places so that lostness, the injustice of lostness, does not continue. I believe that it can stop with this generation. I really believe that Jesus is coming back soon. And that he wants to eradicate that injustice. And so thank you for all you do to make that possible. I'd like to introduce you to one of our pastors, Pastor Emmanuel. This will give you a picture of Malawi so you'll be able to see what it looks like and the incredible work that is going on there. God bless you. This is Malawi, my home, the warm heart of Africa home to 18 million people and 26 people groups. The wind of the Holy Spirit is moving here among us. 
Our dream in Malawi is to have a healthy church within walking distance of every person. I am Pastor Emmanuel. I studied at Bible school and then planted this church. All of these people can tell a beautiful story about how God changed them. The gospel has affected everyone. We are eager to tell others how Jesus is the way to God. Lives are changing. Our communities are changing. Everyone should have a church they can walk to. And by God's grace, we have made a good start. So many churches already, but still so many dark places that are not reached. Many more churches are needed. To plant churches, we first need pastors. Many are willing to go and preach, but we cannot send them without ministry training. Reaching the unreached of my country is worth it. Yes, one church can transform a community. I have seen it. So many villages and tribes still need to hear about Jesus. Thank you for sending us to Africa. Thank you for being part of the ministry God uh, has called us to do. I'd like for us to turn in our Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Also, while you're turning there, i just uh, give you a couple of, uh, of things that we're needing prayer for and what we're trying to do. We've been itinerating for almost a year now to go back to Africa. and We are scheduled to return in April next month. And we still have a little bit of money we need to raise. We need to raise almost $10,000 more in cash. And uh, we are also still looking for churches and individuals who would be willing to support us on a monthly basis. So I would encourage you to please pray for us. And maybe can, uh, maybe the church can, can support us monthly. But uh, if, if that would work, that would be great. We, we are, when we return, though we will be residing in, in Malawi, we work in, in eight, eight of these countries that were named on the on the overhead, and uh, we're trying to uh, partner with uh, with the national churches in Zambia and in Zimbabwe to build Bible schools. And so uh, the funds that that you give will help us do that. And we also are always trying to build churches and in places where there's needed, uh, maybe do a water well or do some kind of project um, uh, where where we can get clean water access to the community through that local church. And so those are some of the things that we do, and those are some of the needs that we have that uh, we would appreciate your prayers for, for those needs. Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, a very, uh, uh, very uh, uh, well-known passage that we're going to look at this morning. But I believe the Lord has, has a, a word for us out of this passage we might have read many times, maybe we can get get more out of it than we, we've seen or be reminded again, once again, of what, what God's Word is saying. But Luke chapter 10, and I'll be reading out of the ESV, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, 
and with all your mind, your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he said to him, Excuse me. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful for your love that is everlasting and never ends. We're thankful for the presence of the Lord that we experienced this morning. We pray that we would never take it for granted. Lord, we pray that you would help the preaching of the word this morning. I pray that you would open our ears to hear. I pray you would open up our minds to understand. And Lord, I pray you would change our hearts and draw us closer to you, dear God. Help us. Make us into the people that you would like for us to be, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this common passage that most of us, if we've been raised in the church, we, we, we knew the story of the Good Samaritan. But even if you weren't raised in the church, this is such a common usage. Oh, hey, that person, oh, he's, a, he's such a Good Samaritan. Or you hear reports on the news, a news report of the Good Samaritan. It is, it, it has, uh, it is known even outside of Christian, uh, Christian uh, faith, the phrase, the Good Samaritan. Of course, it is because of this story of somebody going out of their way to help a stranger. We see that Jesus is telling this story to a crowd of people, but it was asked a question by a lawyer to trick him. A person of the law, a person who thought highly of himself, was well educated. And Jesus began to tell him the story of, of who should be a neighbor. Who, what is the story of a neighbor? And he began to tell of a certain man. Now we do not know this, who this certain man was. We don't know any of his background. We assume he's a Jewish man. But he's a Jewish man or he's a man on a, on a road, uh, the road to, to Jericho from Jerusalem. That is not a very long journey. The journey is only about 17 or 18 miles apart from Jerusalem to Jericho. But he was going down from Jerusalem, which was a higher elevation, down to Jericho. And the difference was about 3,200 feet in elevation. And it was a very rugged, desolate place. And there is common to, to probably have thieves hide out and find people who are on a journey that were vulnerable, maybe those that were traveling by themselves. And the story Jesus was telling of this certain man, we see he fell among thieves. He fell among robbers. And there they not only robbed him, the Bible says they took him and beat him, left him half dead, stripped him naked, and left him there to die. And then they took his, his possessions and left. And while he was laying there dying... There comes a religious man, a, a man of God, a priest on a journey. And the Bible says that he passed by on the other side, saw him, but just kept on going. 
Now, it could have been for various reasons, maybe of the custom of that day, or maybe because of the law of not being, a, a priest should not be able to touch a, a dead person, or that person, the priest will become unclean for a certain time. I do not believe God was concerned about, uh, about the, that law over, over helping this man. And I believe that's why Jesus talked about how this priest walked on the other side. We see the Levite came. A Levite was a, a man who worked or a person who worked in, in, the, in the temple. He was a temple worker. He knew the law as well. And as he was walking down, he knew if he went over and touched the man, he too would be unclean. And so he passed by on the other side as well. And then Jesus, talking to these Jewish believers, talking to these, these, this lawyer, began to talk of the hero of the story, the Samaritan. Many of us might know the, the term Samaritan, but we might not know much about the Samaritans. The Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. The Jewish people thought they were better than the Samaritans. The Samaritans was a mixed race, mixed race between the Assyrians and the, Jew, and the Jewish people. The Assyrians came in and conquered the Jewish people along with many other nations. And when they conquered, they pillaged and, and, and took advantage of the situation. And there many people uh, experienced suffering. And because of that, we find many people or many women, young ladies, pregnant without being married. And, and, and the, mixed, the, the, this, this, the babies were mixed race, and so the Jewish people despised them. And Jesus made them the hero of the story. I love that. Jesus loves all mankind. We are all children of God. He does not consider one race better than the other, one group of people better than the other, the educated or uneducated, the rich or the poor, a person of a different color or, or not. He loves us all. We are all his children. When you get to thinking that poor me and poor this and your life is so bad, one of the things we need to remind ourselves, we are children of God. And Jesus made this this, this made this, this person, this Samaritan, the hero of this story. And as he was telling these Jewish people how wonderful the Samaritan was, he began to tell them, them what the Samaritan did. And I want us to look at just four things that this Samaritan did that Jesus said to go and do likewise. First of all, we see in verse 33 that the Samaritan was moved with compassion. We as Christians must follow Jesus' example and follow the example of the Samaritan and be moved with compassion. Serving the Lord involves compassion for others. Jesus reached out in love. The Bible states because he was moved with compassion, many times in his ministry, people were healed. People were delivered from bondage. The sick and lame would walk. Those possessed with evil spirits were delivered. He came across the crowd of 5,000, and they, were, they had been there all day. And when he, before he did the miracle of feeding the 5,000, the Bible stated that Jesus saw the crowd and was moved with compassion. We as Christians must allow the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. And we see the hurting. We see the dying. We see those that are lost, spiritually lost. We must be moved with compassion. Second, we see not only was the Samaritan moved with compassion, but the Samaritan went beyond that. He met the man's practical needs in verse 34. As Christians, we not only should be moved with compassion, but that compassion should move us to action. We must minister to others and attempt to meet the needs of others, meet the needs of our neighbor. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the example. I mentioned, I mentioned that he, when he saw the, the crowd, he was moved with compassion. But he didn't just say, oh, that's too bad, they're hungry. The disciples said, let's send the crowd away. And Jesus said, no, give them something to eat. 
It was because he, he, he saw they needed something. Of course, then he fed the 5,000 out, out of that miracle. He was moved with compassion and met the people's needs. We, as Christians, must meet the needs of those around us, those that are hurting, those that are lost. One of the reasons why we're wanting to build and plan a Bible school is because there's a need for training for pastors. Pastors are, are called in Africa and have little to no training. And if we could provide training, that's meeting their needs. Many communities have no clean water. We've been able to put in water wells in many villages. Waterborne illness in Africa kills more people than AIDS and malaria. And it's something we can do. It costs money to drill wells. It's expensive, but it changes people's lives and helps people live a healthier life. And through that, when we put a water well at a, a local church, it normally the church is seen as, its, as instead of having its hand out to the community to give, it has its hand out to the community to serve. And it sets that church up, and that church grows, and that church is, is, is a blessing to that community. We partner with medical clinics and, and medical officers throughout Africa to help them provide immunizations uh, uh, and, and even deworming for children. Simple things, but make a big difference. We as Christians must meet the needs of those around us. Third, we see the Samaritan in verse 35, it cost him something. He gave of, his, of, of the gold coins to the innkeeper, but it cost him more than just the money. He was on a journey. He had things to do. He had probably a plan. He probably had other people waiting on him. And what did he do? He stopped what he was doing. And he began to help somebody. If you're going to be involved in ministry, it, it sometimes will, will disrupt your plans. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your schedule. Not only did he sit there and spend a little time, but he began to take of his own possessions and, 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 and clean his, the, the, the person's wounds. And he probably had to get dirty himself. This man has no clothes on and he's laying there probably in his own blood. And he had to clean this man up. Give him probably his own clothing or own robe or some kind of way to cover the man. And then he put him on his own donkey. His own animal. And instead of him riding, he walked. Ministry and serving others will cost you. We know that, that he... he, he not only took of his time and took of his possessions, but it, it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Sometimes people need help at the most inconvenient time. Isn't that how it is? But that's, I believe, what God is telling us, to be willing to give of our, of our time and be inconvenienced. Not just, uh, I'm not just talking money. I'm not just talking uh, uh, possessions, but even of comfort. When Mindy and I first went to Africa, we had great great uh, desire to serve. We became missionaries in 1999 and had to raise our support for about a year and a half. And as Mindy mentioned, we got there in 2001. After being on the ground just for nine weeks, I was carjacked at gunpoint and taken away from our family's home and with three men with guns. These men had killed somebody 40 minutes before they got to me. It will cost you. After this, a few weeks later, our oldest son began to have panic attacks, and we, were, we got phone calls from the school to come and pick him up. It will cost you. A few months later than that, Mindy began to get sick, and she began to get diagnosed with malaria almost every other month for 18 months. She had malaria nine times in our first year and a half in Africa. Finally, the doctor told us to go home, but go back to the U.S., that if we, she continued to get malaria, she was going to die. It will cost you. 
And next month, we're going to be saying bye to our children. Four years we'll go. We'll get to come back and see them. But we'll be saying bye to our grandchildren, bye to our parents. It will cost you. Serving God is not easy. And it's not free. Salvation was paid for. Salvation is free, but serving God is not free. It will cost you. And finally, we see the last instruction Jesus gave. He told the lawyer, he told the crowd, he said, go and do likewise. Do like the Samaritan. I want to encourage you this morning to do like the Samaritan. Give of your time. Give of your possessions. Give of of your convenience. Give of what you have. And be a blessing to those around you. We get a chance to work with some amazing people in Africa. And they give. Some of the most generous people I know in the world are Africans with very little money. But they have time. They can help. They can pray. They can serve. We get to work with some amazing pastors as well. We saw one of the pastors in Malawi in that video, but we got to work with a pastor in Mozambique. Her name was Esther. She was raised in in the city uh, community of Zavala, Mozambique. In Zavala, Mozambique, when she was young and as she was growing up, there was not one single church in that community. She did not know the story of Jesus, didn't even know what a church did. But the war came through, the war I talked about, and to escape being involved in the war, her, along with many other people, fled their village, went to a city. There they got on on a bus and transportation, and they went to the capital city. Esther was born as a paraplegic without the use of her legs. When she was young, she was married in a traditional way in Africa. After she... After she had a, gave birth to a little girl, her husband left her, and there she was a single mother and had very little ways of, raise, of raising her family and she raising her daughter, and she didn't know where to turn. When she got to this big city of Maputo, the capital city of over two million people, didn't know very many people there, she got invited to a church. Her question is, what is a church? They told her all, all this stuff about a church. She wasn't too interested. Finally, they, somebody said, they're singing at this church. And she said, oh, they're singing at the church. I'll go. I like music. You know, we're all created different. And we all have different things. That's why a church is so different from one church to the next. But, but she said, okay, I'll go. And Sister Esther went to that church. And that church accepted her as a single mother. They didn't rebuke her. They loved her, even though she, was, she was, uh, had difficulties in her life. They embraced her, and she fell in love with the people, and the people fell in love with her, and she gave her heart to the Lord. And there she was being discipled, and she realized one day that her village, if they didn't hear about Jesus, they would go to eternity to, and spend eternity in hell. This so uh, um, imp- impacted her life that she began to pray, Lord, send somebody to Zavala, send somebody to plant a church. Nobody went. So she started praying, and she felt the Lord tell her to go back. She left the city where she had a little bit more comfort and had a, a church family, and there she went back and began to, to live in her, in, in her village. This is her house. It's a grass roof, mud walls. It's very clean. It's simple, but that was her, that's her home. She didn't know how to, do, how to plant a church. She scheduled church services. Nobody came. So then she started feeling that she should go to them. And so she started going to, uh, to uh, her neighbors. And remember, she's in the village that has no roads. And she uh, could not walk. And so she had to crawl to get to every house in her village. It took her months. But she did that. She went to every single house in the village. I have a video I'd like to introduce you to, Esther. 
as it is playing, I will just continue to give a little bit of her story. As she, as she began to go to every home in that village, expecting people to get saved, time after time she was rejected. And not one, one person, not one home accepted her message. Nobody prayed with her. Nobody, most of them didn't even want to hear what she had to say. And then months later, discouraged and disappointed, she went back to her house. And there she was just sitting on, out in the front of her house, praying and asking God to help. She saw a few children playing in the distance. And she called them to her. And they came out of curiosity. And she said, would you like to hear some stories? And they were bored. And they said, sure. And she began to tell them stories of the Bible. Stories of, of the Good Samaritan. Stories of... Jonah and the great fish, stories of Jesus walking on the water or calming the seas, stories of, of Daniel and the lion's den. And the, the kids were, were amazed by these stories. She finally kind of told them enough that, that she knew that she had them. And she said, I'm not going to tell you any more stories unless you come back and bring friends. If you come back and bring friends, I'll tell you more stories. And the kids agreed. So these three or four kids, the next week became seven or eight kids. And the next week became 10 or 12 kids. And 20 kids and 30 kids. And soon these children begin to get saved and wanting to go to Sister Esther's house. And the community began to get concerned. And the elders called a meeting together in that community. And they said, this is a problem. All these children are going to Esther's house. We don't know why. This cannot stand. Others would say, but she's, there's nothing happening wrong. We, we, can't, we can't stop it. So they said, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll send the mothers. The mamas will go and they will make sure that nothing bad and inappropriate is happening at Esther's house. So the mothers begin to stand behind the children as they were sitting just at that little house where we saw that's where her church was. It was outside. And she began to tell them about Jesus. And the mothers begin to get saved. And pretty soon there's a crowd of people. Who else shows up? Teenagers. They want to know what's going on. There's teenagers coming and saying, all these people are here, why are they there? And they would just stand in the background, sometimes way far in the back. And, and each week they'd get a little closer and a little closer. And pretty soon teenagers started getting saved. This took several years. But, but Esther was faithful. We would go and do some training. And we would work with her. And we wanted to help her build the church. And, and uh, so she could have a proper church. One day the head man of the village was coming and, and uh, he was walking down the path and I was concerned. I didn't know why he was coming. She said, oh, don't worry. She saw the concern in my face. She said, he heard that you were coming and he wants to meet you. He and his family were in church on Sunday and they got saved. So when he came, he came and we began to talk and I said, how can I help you? And he said, we need a water well in our community. Could you do that? We said, we can do that. We know some people that help us in, in America and called our churches here in Colorado and across the U.S. and and we were able to raise money to put a water well there. I said, you know, you could help us. We need land to build a church. He said, okay, I can help you with that. And they gave us land on the only road in that, in that little community, right on that main road. We built the church. That little tabernacle building we built is very simple, but it's the nicest building in that whole community. That's where the water well is. We've had help, and we built her a little house right there as well. We've tried to meet people's needs and go and do likewise. And through that... That she's changed that village and that community to where other people from other villages begin to walk to her church on Sunday. They've now put her, uh, uh, she's one of the leaders in the community because she, they see her as one that's made great difference. It didn't happen quickly. It didn't happen overnight. And it was a lot of hard work. See, Esther was not born with the same privileges you and I probably have. But she was willing to be used by God. 
She's now planted another church in another nearby village. I look at her and I think, why am I not doing more for God? I look at her and think, why, do I, why can't I do more? And I want to challenge you that with that same question this morning. Why are we not doing more for God? What is our excuse? When Jesus has given us a command to go and do likewise, why are we not doing what God has called us to do? Or why can't we do more? Many times people are going through difficult times. And we look at the story, and we always emphasize the Good Samaritan, but it's hard to go and do likewise when you feel like you're the man that's been beat up and left on the side of the road. Life is difficult, and it is a challenge. And because sin entered in this, into this world through Adam and Eve and every man that's, and woman that's lived since then other than Jesus, life is difficult, and we will have problems. And sometimes we find that we are the victim of the story, and we're laying on the side of the road. I remember being carjacked, and the weeks after that, it was difficult. hard for you and hard for me when we feel like we've been hurt. And I want to pray with you this morning. As we close this message, I want to pray for a couple things. I want to pray for those that need God to touch them in their life. I want to pray for Esther in Zavala and her church and the, the church plant that she's made in the other village. And I want to pray for each one of us to go and do likewise. Would you bow your heads with me? As we close in prayer, I want to ask you a few questions and I want you to respond, please. If you are living in, 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 a, in a time of your life that is going uh, not so well and it's, you're, you're facing difficulties and challenges and you feel like you're the person that's been beat up and on the, left on the side of the road or you have family members or friends that are in desperate need of help and you're willing to say, yes, I, I want to I pray for them, but you're, you're willing to acknowledge you need prayer or people in your, in your family or your friends or people you work with need prayer, would you raise your hand? Right where you are, just raise it. I know I'm raising my hand this morning. Needs in our life, but we also have two nephews that, that are in desperate need of prayer. So I'm raising my hands for my two nephews this morning. But if you need prayer this morning, would you raise your hand? Need help in your marriage or help, help physical help and need a healing in your life, or you have unsafe loved ones. Raise your hand high. There's a few of us that have raised our hand this morning. I want to pray with you. I also want to challenge each one of us to go and do likewise by hearing this message and be reminded of the Good Samaritan and seeing and meeting Esther this morning on video who's willing to say I'm, I'm not going to let her be the only one that's going to do go and do likewise I too want to respond and I want to go and do likewise if you're willing to do more for the kingdom of God do more for God then just raise your hand I raise my hand now say I want to do more God help us God help us to be willing and help us to have the boldness to do it Thank you. Thank you. Many of us have raised our hand this morning. I want to just invite all of us to stand. Every person in this room, if you can, if you would with me, just stand with me. As pastor comes to conclude this service, I want us to pray. Many of us have raised our hands for many issues. I do not know what they are, but God does. He's who we go to this morning for prayer. Dear Lord, I just come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit that we experienced this morning. We're grateful that you reminded us through the story of the Good Samaritan that you love all mankind and we're all children of God. You reminded us, Lord, this morning as well that the greatest tragedy is not poverty and not people that are sick and not people that are, that are facing challenges. The greatest injustice in the world is not knowing you. And there are literally hundreds of 
millions of people around the world that do not know you. I pray that you would help us to pray more and to work more and to serve more. Lord, you put us in positions and in places to reach the people in this community. For the people that are lost in Colorado Springs are just as lost as Mozambique and Malawi and Zambia and Zimbabwe. They're just as lost. And Lord, I pray that you would use the people here to go and do likewise. Use people here to be more, more bold in their expression of the good news. God, I pray that you would open doors of opportunities. Lord, I pray we would seek those opportunities and pray for opportunities. And then we would, we would respond when given the opportunity. But Lord, many of us are in a situation where it's difficult to, to reach out when we feel like we've been the one left for dead. And I just pray that you would help bring healing to every person here. Minister to them and touch them and encourage them. Strengthen them, provide for them, help them. Send people to their life to minister to them. Use this church to minister to these people in this community, in this church body. Lord, I pray that you would help Sister Esther right now and the community in Zavala and the two churches that she's planted. I just pray you'd bless the, bless the work. Lord, I pray you would bless the work that's happening in Southern Africa, that more churches would be planted, more people would hear the gospel, more people would respond to, to, to the salvation message. Lord, I pray you would help each and every one of us to do the work you've called us to do where you've called us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. It is a joy to be in service with you. So um, they have prayer cards. They're out on the, um, the uh, information desk out there. So be sure and grab one. Remember, it's, it, it's a good thing to say, oh, I'm going to pray for them. But if you don't have a prayer card, chances are you don't. Uh, you have to have reminders. I'm that way. So grab a prayer card. And also, Amy's going to be at the back, back there, with the um, offering plate. Part of the reason we bring missionaries is to financially support them. I mean, that's, that's that they need it. That's what we're doing. Uh, we want a prayer support. We want to connect with them, all that kind of stuff. But they've got needs. They've got things they got to do. They've got stuff that, that that they have to have the finances to get over there and do all that kind of stuff. So you can give uh, to, to this this morning, and then um, we'll, we'll be looking at bringing them on uh, as a supporting as us as, as supporting them monthly too. So um, we definitely want to bring them up here and pray for them before we go. I was thinking about this as we're praying for Esther across the planet. Guys, we believe prayer really does work. It's not just something we're doing. We believe as we're praying right here in, in Middle of Colorado Springs, that God is touching Esther in the middle of Africa. That's we, we believe that. And so we, we stand strong on this mentality. So, Lance Vinny, why don't you guys come up here? Anybody wants to come join us? And uh, we always pray two basic things. We always pray that the, the Holy Spirit will go before them, protect them, keep them, give them wisdom, direction, favor. Uh, whatever they need. And then we also pray that uh, that they will be part of us, that, they, that God puts them into our heart, that, that it's not just some missionaries that came through and we spent a little time through some money at them, but, we, but we, they're part of us. And we want to pray for them. We want to continue to do that. We want to support them uh, as, as they're doing things too. So, so let's pray. God, we lift uh, them up to you right now. Lord, we know that this is going to be a huge transition to leave kids, grandkids, all that kind of stuff. And uh, God, but you, you, you had this amazing ability to, to, to put that call so deep in our heart that we must do this. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you that they're obedient to this, that they're following you in these things. Lead them, guide them, give them protection, give them wisdom, give them favor. Holy Spirit, you anoint them. You go before them. And you make their path very brightly lit. 
God, we thank you for that. We also ask you to put them into our hearts as part of us, that, that, they, are, that they are part of the kingdom of God, part of the, the family of God, but also part of the church of Briargate. God, we want to support that. We want to support what you're doing through them. And, get, and thank you for the opportunity we've had to, to be a part of this today. God, you're so big. You're so amazing. And so, Lord, we thank you. We put it all at your feet, God, for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, grab one of their prayer cards. You have an opportunity to get to know them a little bit. I, I did want to mention, as it stands right now, assuming there's no change, we'll let you know if there's a change. But um, we're going to be having um, memorial service for John uh, Hayjack here on the 28th of this month. And we'll let you know what's going on. And I, and I did want to mention, Diane mentioned to me, everybody's been very good. You've taken care of her. You've, you've, you've helped. You've done all this stuff. Um, and she, she was almost saying that, like, you know, it's, we don't want to put people out. And, and so I'm saying this in front of her, in front of all of you, because many of you have said this to me. It's impossible to put us out with this, right? We, we're, we're family. John's, John's part of us. Um, we miss him. We're going to do whatever we can. Diane's part of us. So we'll let you know as it comes up. We're going we're gonna to have a meal for the family. We're going to do some things uh, with the service. But, but um, Diane, we say to you, we're all ready. Don't, we're ready to do whatever you need. So um, just let us know, you know, whatever we can do. So we'll let you know as it gets closer. But it looks like March 28th we're going to be having the service. They're doing that so family can be here and all those kind of things at the right time. So be praying for Diane and, um, and the, the whole family. Pray for everybody. This is a difficult time frame, obviously. But, but let me throw something out here, too. Uh, John kind of took care of everything. He did. And so Diane's got a huge transition ahead of her, and this is challenging. He, he, he took care of everything. And so uh, be thinking about maybe how you can jump in and help or do something like that, too. Okay? So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. God will give you the opportunity. I'm, I'm going to tell you in the next few weeks of an opportunity God gave me this week to witness to a guy. And uh, he does. He, he, I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't asking for it, whatever. And God just put somebody there, gave me the opportunity. Guys, look for the opportunity. God will give it to you. You know that. And then God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Specifically, Grant. Bring him in close. Hug him. And uh, we will see you guys Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.